Hi, I'm Michelle Sawatsky-Coop, and today's a pretty special episode for us here on Heroes in Our Midst. You see, this whole podcast project of ours began in the summer of 2020, when the Olympic Games were supposed to have been, but COVID put a stop to them. So instead of watching sport, we wanted to talk about it, but not just about the athletic performances, the people behind those achievements. The hearts behind the headlines and the honest human side we almost never get to see, where the true strength comes from. The founding team of heroes was Dr. Adrian Leslie Toogood, Donna Harris, and myself. All of us alumni of the University of Manitoba, all of us with a history of being student-athletes, and all of us women, and each of us married with two kids. And maybe most importantly... All of us with a passion for being human and knowing that there is ultimate strength in truly being okay with who we are. Today's episode is all about Donna. Now, Donna would, like many of our guests, not call herself a hero, but that's why we are doing it for her. Donna now works in the private sector for the Johnston Group as a wellness consultant. But leading up to present day, she was a U-sport track athlete, coached at several national championships, transitioned into the administration side of sport, completed a master's degree in kinesiology, and poured herself into it all, heart and soul. And in doing all of this, somewhere reached a breaking point. Her recovery, perhaps, taught her more than anything, that self-care is the only way to truly be at your very best in helping others, exactly what she is drawn to do. So now, it's time to hear her story. Donna Harris, Once Upon a Time. So I'm an RCMP kid, so I, I can't really say that I'm from anywhere specifically. I'm from rural the rural prairie area, Saskatchewan and Manitoba. And uh, in grade four, um, we started to race each other at recess time. And so I quickly figured out that I was faster than all of the girls in my class. And then quickly realized I was faster than all of the boys except one. And I think I beat him once, but I cheated. <laughs> I false started on purpose so that I could say I won, but I figured out then that I was fast and that I could move and that there was, you know, power in that. I wasn't particularly coordinated, like from a hand-eye um, perspective or like I'm the person that gets stuck indoors and like fall upstairs. And so the fact that I could put one foot in front of the other relatively quickly was like pretty amazing. <laughs> so um, I did do lots of, I, I love sports, so I did lots of um Lots of high school sports, uh, volleyball, basketball, just once. It, it wasn't a good endeavor for me. I did golf, also not particularly good, but it was fun to be out on the course. Um, I just like to play. And um, and then I also had a, a really strong involvement with music too. So very interesting combination. There wasn't a lot of kids in high school that were involved in um, a significant way in music and sports. So I was like the only kid in jazz band that had to like try to get a jazz band so that I could go to track practice. <laughs> and negotiate that but um had a strong piano background growing up and uh, and then multi-instruments and concert band and stuff and so and then I ended up having the opportunity to compete for the University of Manitoba in track and field so that's my little story there yeah now um take us into university and 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 how important did track become to you and and uh, you played a significant role on that team as well through your time team captain and things like that so obviously you were more than just fast uh you offered some other things to the team talk about your university experience and what that was like for you being an athlete at that level 
I loved it. I love training. I'm actually um, like, I guess I'm stronger at training than I am at competing. I ended up, I think we didn't really talk about this specifically, but in reflection, I think was much more of a relay specialist than an individual athlete. So I could rise to the occasion and put it all on the line with no problem in a relay situation and had a lot more, I struggled with confidence a lot in my individual events, but you put a stick in my hand or the baton. Um, and I was a completely different athlete. So I loved being part of the university program. What I love about track and field is that it's so diverse, right? It's first of all, it's a co-ed team. So it's male and men and women competing together and and uh, people from lots of diverse backgrounds and uh, are, I guess, drawn to our sport or end up in our sport. I'm not sure. We also had a walk-on policy. So, you know, anyone could come and train with the University of Manitoba Track and Field Program. And uh, But you had to hit standards to get to go to Canada West, which was the... Uh, conference championship and then obviously uh, you had to be top 12 in the country to compete um, in individual events at nationals so you know you could rise to whatever level you wanted to so I I really enjoyed being part of that program it has a really rich history when I was entering the program Byron Goodwin and Kelly Criar and some of those national team guys were in their final year so it was super like as a young like kid from the country who like didn't know anyone to like have these big guys not only be on your team but like talk to you and like hang out and stuff that was pretty amazing and they're pretty inspiring and the women's team they weren't on the team anymore but uh I remember Jenna uh Nicole now Kriar and Corinne Podolsky and others like I remember knowing that I was sort of walking into their shoes and that was also you know like you showed up and you did the work because you had this history to defend sort of thing so that was um, really cool and so I think it was probably my role on the relay teams uh, that maybe led to me being a captain because I'm not a I'm more introverted than extroverted and stuff so maybe it was just the commitment I was pretty rigorous in my approach to training and probably led more by action than by words for sure I'm not sure you'd have to ask Bruce Perny (laughs) (laughs) I guess, um, to see, but, and there was like, um, I think we had six captains. There's like three men and three women, but the team is really big and there's multiple events. And so that leadership is more of like a collaborative representation of, of the team and, you know, all of the different facets that are a part of it. But relays were my absolute favorite. Uh, And we did pretty well as relay teams. We won four medals in uh, four years. So two in my second year and two in my fourth year, um, which was really fun. And um, in the four by two, especially, I don't remember. I think I started in my first year, but after that, I got to run second in the four by two and all the positions are important, but in the four by two, the second runner is the one that cuts in. And so there's this extra level of pressure because you receive the baton and then about 30 meters later, you run the first turn and then you have to cut in and cut down. And it is like carnage, like track and field is not contact, but the four by two is ugly as hell. And like, especially the women's is ugly. The men's is like full on carnage. Like it's ugly. And so just being in that intensity and, you know, having the stick in my hand and knowing it wasn't just me was like the best thing ever. And my other favorite thing as a coach and as an athlete is that at nationals it's a small meet there's only you know 12 entries in every uh, event and so you have to be top 12 to be there and it's track and field is a 10 ring circus right there's stuff going on all the time but when the relay finals start it doesn't matter what else is going on there's this this hush and it happens without any guidance there's no announcement or anything it's just you settle in and there's this hush because you win championships in track and field every place scores points and so in individual events it's like the first place is I think it's 10 like 10 8 down but relays are double so you can win and lose championships on the relays there's this hush that settles over and it's just this like 
electricity waiting to explode and it's like my favorite moment in it's my favorite moment and as an athlete in the blocks you just have to like drink it in and harness it but use it in a way that doesn't allow you to false start Mm -hmm. right Um, and I've been in that position and as the person waiting on the sideline like you just your heart is in your throat right so you have to just breathe and then let it flow because once the gun goes off you have no control right and anyway so those are I think my favorite um the sort of track and field thing. So it was really fun to be part of that, a team that has such a risk history. And then it was really fun to contribute to that history with um, performances. And in my last year, we were silver medalists. So we were all Canadians, which was like super awesome. So you've talked about these amazing parts of it and, and the performances and all of that. But I think a lot of us who, especially even us other athletes, well, we think, well, yeah, I'll, I'll run to train and I'll do some jump training, but then I want to play a game. Yeah. Um, but I think track, like athletics, athletes think you're wired differently because you you run and then you run to run you know and a lot of that is really finding your end and finding the edge I think and and usually that involves some pain or right or sort of you know people sort of laugh when they say oh yeah I ran until I threw up but I'm thinking track athletes you know you do do that because you have to find where is my limit where's the actual end so how is the fastest what's the fastest I can go that kind of thing how how was that actually how were you motivated to do that year after year after year I mean these moments are special but wow I, I think it takes a special person to continue to put themselves through that what do you think got you through that and why did you like you said you liked training yeah I don't know um (laughs) I think well definitely my training partners right I had really great I was part of really great training groups and with really awesome people and so one of my training partners Christy Bailey now she's Christy LaBerge and um we would like have to do a 500 meter time trial or something it would be super hard and we'd like stand at the start line for 20 minutes and talk like right and be like we know what's coming (laughs) we don't want to do this like I don't want to do this like and we'd be talking random things I remember one time I don't even know why this sticks with me one time it was like we were talking about our grandpas we're like 19 years old. I, I I don't know, but I think it's a certain type of personality that's drawn to that, like beat ourselves up. So as we're speaking here, right, I'm currently nursing like an injury from my bad, um, uh, not super serious, but bad mountain bike crash yesterday. So I, and it, and it was like 32 degrees and I'm dragging my sorry butt all over this mountain bike course behind my friend in the white shell. And so I don't know what it is. Is there something that when you get to the end of getting through a really hard workout, like you just feel better? Um, I have a busy brain, and I think the um, I think the uh, rhythm of training and the all I had to put into it really helped to negate the busyness in my brain. Like a little bit, I could definitely have a tendency to be an anxious human, and so when I'm training like that, it the pain is worth it. So and it's and it's relatively short lived. I mean, it feels long and I was like I didn't want to throw up so I'd push myself to the point where I thought I would and then I'd like lie beside the doors in Max Bell like on my back deep breathing for 20 minutes after like three by 300 with 15 minutes rest because I didn't want to puke but I would like you know when your head hammers and but then you know you feel better after and you go on with your day and (laughs) and that that's the work that it takes to that's the work you have to do to qualify and that's the work you have to do to make that relay team or that Canada games team or you know, inevitably the national team, I didn't ever make a national team as an, uh, as an athlete, but yeah, I think, I think I was just dri- driven. I've recently done the, um, via strengths piece and one of my top strengths is perseverance. And so I think that's like, I'm like a chocolate lab. I'll swim till I die. Right. Yes. <laughs> so I think 
<laughs> and I had one that did that. But I, I, so I think, I think that the makeup of my personality was that I was that stubborn that I didn't want to give up. And so I was willing to do whatever. And I think I was good at it. And so mm-hmm. I was good at it and it came easy at first. So then it wasn't such a big step to have to do the extra work to get that extra. But you still have to learn, right? I mean, there's athletes that never learn how to work through a lactic workout and they're never going to push through. Um, and I don't think I learned that until maybe I became an endurance athlete later because I moved into adventure racing of all things, which is weird for someone who wouldn't do 800 meters more. I wouldn't run for more than 800 meters in a, in a warm up, And then I ended up doing this like three day stage races with like, you know, it got to have a snack in the middle, which yeah. was kind of fun. Yeah. But like, I think it's just in how I was wired and, uh, and then understanding the work that had to do. And then because I think perseverance is part of my makeup it just lended me well to the events that are super gross which was the 300 and 400 right there's nothing fun nothing fun about even even the warm-up sucks sometimes So Donna, now you are, you're an all Canadian. I mean, you've medaled at, you, you know, you sport championships, that kind of thing. And, and that's, that's a huge accomplishment. Very few people even get to experience mm-hmm. that. You captained a team. So then your university career ends. And obviously you've been studying through this time as, as we are all student athletes when we're at university and accomplishing these athletic goals. So national team wasn't in the cards for you. Bridge the gap then. Once, once your actual athletics career sort of ended, you retired from that. And then you went into, you did some coaching. Did that overlap at all? Or, or how did that start for you? I, uh, yeah, so I graduated in 2000 uh, for my undergrad degree. And then I, I was working, I worked at, I moved to BC for a very short stint and worked in for swimming, which was uh, just, it was really short, like eight months or something. And then I came home um, to work for Coaching Manitoba. And uh, just, I think about a year after that, I started to coach. I, I struggled a little bit with that exit from being an athlete. You know, you have like 20 or 25 hours of your life that's with these people. And all of a sudden that just ends. And then you don't know what to do with yourself, like quite frankly. So that's why I did adventure racing because it seemed like a logical idea. I don't know, like I could have just like gone to the gym, right? <laughs> But then, you know, no, then I started and I learned to snowboard, which was a super fun and multi-directional, which caused some injuries because in track and field, we go in one plane um, and stuff. But uh, so I started to coach and I coached at the high school level at, with the club um, at uh, the, the Winnipeg Optimist Club and then um, moved with my athletes and so got back to coaching at the university level and I coached at the university level for five years and I really loved that. I think the developing high performance and high performance niche was really where I fit and then I also had the opportunity to uh, at around that same time I transitioned into a role with Athletics Canada so I was responsible for the Continuing, Dr. Linda Blade had uh, started this resurgence of run, jump, throw, which was the grassroots multi-event sort of approach to track and field. And then I was selected to take over that for her. And so that was a really rewarding project. We integrated it with the, at the time, the new NCCP and adapted, we created a resource for teachers across all event groups. And then we adapted all of those for five different um, disability groups. So it's a completely inclusive grassroots program. So that was really awesome. And got me involved at the national level. Lots of learning. <laughs> you know, I was like 25 years old and I still had a retainer. So I like, it looked like bring your kid to work day every day. I'm pretty sure there was meetings I attended with Alec Gardner sometimes. And I'm pretty sure they were like, why is he bringing his kid with him? What are you doing here? Right. Anyway. Yeah. So, and then, and then that morphed into, that was a contract and it morphed into a full-time job. So I was with Athletics Canada for 10 years and I'm, 
amazed that I was able to accomplish all that I did because I rebuilt the NCCP program for track and field, which is like massive because it's like 10 sports in one. So you have the, the track part, which is really three di- three different disciplines because you have uh, short sprints, hurdles, and then, well, middle distance and distance. But then there's off-road, which is cross-country and um, marathon and then you have jumps and throws but then you also have combined events and then you have para so it's like it's not just like <laughs> you know we're going to write a coaching manual and be done with it yeah. and we did that for um, yeah the run jump throw and then uh, the introduction to competition which involved two workshops and then competition development which is like the bridge to high performance and we started to look at high performance but that was still very new and then also was responsible for the LTAD. So I was like the facilitator behind all of that. I have an incredible group of, I'm not an expert in all those event areas by any stretch of the imagination, but I got to work with experts in all those event areas all the time. So as a coach, the latent learning was incredible for me because, uh, and I'm not really sure why, um, I was able to leverage the national team coaches to help me. Um, They... uh, (laughs) they it wasn't part of their contract and I never asked permission I just did it and Les Gromantic who's uh coached with the University of Calgary in the past and has been a head coach and I can't do his accent he's like from Hungary but he's like I, I would get them to do all this stuff for me and I couldn't I found ways to like pay them or like make sure I fed them well or whatever right and he'd be like I really want to hate you but you're just so nice and I'm like okay yeah I need that by Friday, boss. I call him boss anyways, right? And so I basically got to work with our senior national team coaches uh, fairly regularly. And so the learning for me was, I'm so grateful that I had that opportunity to work with those humans. And then also as a coach, as a developing coach, I mean, you know, I had a question. I went to Alec or I went to Les or I went to, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I remember when Gary Winkler started to work with us and and stuff, right? Like he's... um, He's a U.S. coach, but he was pretty to Felician's personal coach. And so I just got to work with them and, and win. Anyways, like all of them, it was really great. And also got to work with Carla Nichols, who's now the para head coach, and Molly Killingbeck quite a bit. And they're both incredible. And there wasn't a lot of women around. So I was always grateful that they would be at training camp, you know, and stuff because we would do coach education. So I got to go to the pre-Olympic training camp and be with those athletes and coaches and be in that environment. So um, I learned a ton and was super uh, grateful for that. And then uh, when that opportunity came to an end, I was the executive director at Athletics Manitoba and then went on to be the executive director at Racquetball Canada. And when during my time at Athletics Manitoba, uh, I came into that role in 2014, three years before Canada Games. And we were a kind of a big deal in games environments sometimes because we're like you know everyone thinks of athletics and the 100 meters and uh so what was really neat about that experience is we were able to leverage dollars and do a complete upgrade of our photo timing equipment which is like a massive undertaking the cameras are really expensive and the thing I think I'm the most proud of there is that um, at the University of Manitoba track there was always the media hut at the top of the stands and we got a grant we found out we got the grant I think in December maybe January of 2017 and between January 2017 and the end of May Terry Armstrong who was our chief photo timer and an engineer with hydro 
managed to get a building built and it had to be indestructible like it couldn't be it was built out of steel and it became our photo timing like floor to ceiling windows it's the best I think it's the best photo timing center in Canada and they built it on the ground and they hoisted it up by a crane and they put it on top of the stands so and that and then there was all of the I was the team manager too and the executive director and so but I'm I'm most proud of that we were able to do all that for photo timing and get this like indestructible building built and put on top of the stands and we saved so much money because we like on July 1st that year me and Shirley Alan Boudreaux one of the other photo timers and my kids were like laying Mondo <laughs> on the floor and we got all the desks and stuff from Ikea and it was like beautiful it was air-conditioned my photo timers were happy and it's beautiful legacy and and we had our uh, we changed all the high performance funding and we had our best performance out of home games our athletes broke a ton of provincial records and the I can't remember because I don't remember a lot about that time so a lot of my career has been in athletics and um, I had an incredible foundational time at Athletics Canada being able to work with the experts that I did and uh, and I was I'm grateful that they worked with me in the way they did so we were able to rebuild the coaching education uh, program and uh, yeah that's a huge bit and I think Donna in your work do you think has it sunk in that you know creating something that coaches from across Canada are utilizing and the long-term athlete development plan I mean that's I mean you've affected people you will never know that you've affected by the work that you've done Um, but you talked about while you were coaching you were doing this and you were coaching Mm -hmm. so um, what were you coaching who were you coaching and how did that fit in and then you said your kids were there you're gonna have to help us understand (laughs) how you got all of this done Um, and and you were young like you were you were young and you were a young mom and obviously life was happening while all this other stuff was happening for everybody else and you were pouring yourself into it. So talk about your coaching a little bit so we get a little picture of that and how you balanced it all. Well, I I definitely didn't balance it well at first. And now, and now, um, given the work I've done, um, I think I talk more about blend because balance is almost impossible, um, I think. But uh, my coaching happened before I had children. So, uh, and I was in, in in a pretty big leadership role at AC or Athletics Canada um, for sure so um, I was coaching at the when I was with Athletics Canada um, and doing all of that coach development work I was actually coaching at the University of Manitoba at the same time and that was crazy because my job had a lot of travel with it and so did coaching so I was traveling over 100 days a year for sure I think uh, before kids and my husband uh, at some point in there I got married (laughs) In 09, I don't remember where that lines up and where I was doing. I think, oh yeah, well, I was coaching at Canada Games in 09 and we got engaged then. So that that's my time marker. So, But he's also a coach and involved with sports. So I don't want to say he didn't care because he cares deeply, but he didn't care that I was never home because quite frankly, he was never home either. So it worked out well. <laughs> You know, like, I don't know where you are and defrost some chicken and feed yourself, whatever, Um, or make me food because I'm hungry. So I was coaching at the university level and I had an incredible group of athletes. And one of my athletes uh, had the opportunity to be part of a national team program. And so I transitioned him into a national team coach. But before that, he won a number of medals at the national level and was... uh, the rookie of the year for athletics at the, at the University of Manitoba. And then wow. in, I think it was 2009, but I can't remember. It might have been 2008. He was the MVP for all of the Bison sports teams. And so uh, that was really awesome. And then I, I had a number of other athletes that were quite successful at CIs and just a really lovely training group. I miss, I, that's what I miss most about coaching is I miss my athletes. And specifically, I miss 
that training group because they were just lovely. We got to go to training camp in Arizona with Les Gramantic and Carla Nichols in their training groups. And that was a huge learning for us. And uh, they were just a dream to coach, like just wonderful, wonderful humans. So, so that was happening. And then in, in 2010, uh, I was with Athletics Canada until 2014. In 2010, I was promoted to a director role. Um, and at the same time, I was pregnant with my first child. And because I was being promoted to a director role, I wasn't allowed to coach national level athletes anymore because of a perceived conflict of interest. But that was actually a bit of a gift because it gave me an out. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to coach the way I had been coaching and also be a mom in the way that I needed to be a mom for me. And there's lots of women, I've seen lots of women who are able to blend it and do an incredible job, but that just wasn't the right fit for me. And at the time we were living two hours away from the track. So I couldn't drive that much anymore. And and then I didn't want to, you know, miss bedtime and I wanted to be... I just wanted to be a mom after I, being involved in sport for so long. And, uh, and, there, and then I still would have to travel with my job. Uh, like I still was at training camps and stuff after with my job when Abby was little. Uh, Abby's my first born. Clara was born in 2013. So I didn't have to blend parenting with, with coaching and having a senior leadership job. But I did have to blend parenting with a senior leadership job and a husband who is also traveling. So, but, and then I ended up doing a master's degree, which I guess took the place of coaching <laughs> after just when I was pregnant with Clara. Um, because uh, when I was at Athletics Canada and still coaching, I had the opportunity to be part of a national team. It was only an internal discussion, but I had the opportunity to... Uh, I internally was named to a national team before anything became public, but I withdrew from that opportunity before anything went public. Um, and it just, there was too many things going on in my life and I just didn't feel like I could do it. And I, I didn't think it was the right uh, fit at that time. Uh, so I walked away from uh, uh, that national team coaching opportunity. And one of the reasons I did was because uh, I could see how challenging it was for coaches and the impact of national team environment like national team environments but that that requirement of travel and everything on I knew exactly what it was for the coaches because I worked with them every day and knew what that commitment was and I just didn't think I could do it but I also started to question if the setup for coaches in general of the next generation was actually serving us well and I'd started to do some succession planning work with Athletics Canada in partnership with On the Podium um, and recognize that this doesn't just a fit for women in coaching. This just might not be a fit for everyone given the demands and given the way, you know, the next generation, there's lots of dads who are very involved with their children and there's lots of families look a lot different now than they did 20 years ago or 30 years ago, right? Where you have one income earner and, and then one person who's like managing the Ford, right? Right now it's just, well, at our house, it's a crapshoot. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> Right. Like it's, 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 we do kid handoffs all the time on highway 59. Like I'm going, I, you know, come and go in car seats, high five snacks, see you later. And so it like, it looks a lot different. And I just started to question that. And uh, someone said, Oh, you know, you should do a lit review and, um, but you're never going to change anything anyway. And I said, Oh yeah, here we go. So then I decided to do a master's degree to prove that I was right. And I was. So yeah, I dropped, not dropped, I stopped coaching. And then two years later, picked up a grad degree that took me five years, but it has opened up uh, all of the doors for me for now. I wouldn't be doing this podcast with you and Adrian. I wouldn't be working at Johnson Group. I wouldn't have had the courage to, you know, make that leap from sport into another industry um, without it. But it was 
probably the hardest thing that I've ever had to do because I'd put my kids down, put my kids down and I'd set my Timex triathlon watch and I'd fall asleep with Abby at like seven or seven 15. I'd wake up at seven 30. You'd think that that is a short amount of time, but when you're exhausted, 20 minutes is like a gift. And then I'd sit at my dining room table for three hours, four days a week, um, slogging through my research and stuff. But i um, very grateful that I did it. Since we're talking about your master's right now, what was, what was the greatest thing you learned? What was your actual thesis and, and what came out of that for you? My thesis was called Passion and the Expert Coach, Impact on Life and Performance. And so ultimately I went into it wanting to get a better understanding of um, the impact of the high performance, like that coaching job on the coach. Uh, on their performance and on their life. And so I haven't published the academic writing yet. I've done my thesis and then got busy doing other things. And so Leisha, I'm really sorry. <laughs> Leisha is my primary advisor. I know I need to publish. Um, but, and, but it was the first study that looked at, it was qualitative. So it was all interview based. The experience of the coach, but I also talked to their partner. So it's the first study that has, and separate interviews, right? So like the coach experience and the partner experience. And uh, it was just, we uncovered so much that we weren't expecting, which is, you know, typical with research. I think given my, uh, the life experiences I had at that time and just leading into it, which we can talk about next, uh, coupled with what I learned in the research, it really drove home the importance of, uh, recovery and understanding recovery. And when I say recovery, I'm not talking about holidays on the beach, I'm talking about daily self-care and just taking care of yourself and having people around you that understand what you need and supporting you in what you need and not questioning you in a negative way. And so I knew a bit cause I'd been in the national sport, um, environment for a long time, but I learned a lot about culture and the, saw examples of culture that were great and supported performance, but unfortunately saw more examples where sports and coaches are being successful despite the environment that they're in. And that research was done in 2016, so there have been some things that have changed. The OTPs introduced the Coach Enhancement Program, which is just a gift to NSOs and to national team coaches for sure. And, you know, last year we saw the huge influx of the need for and reaction to a safe sport. So I think, but, um, you know, some of the quotes that stick out for me from that uh, research was on the, on the coach side was just the, um, you know, someone said, you know, my HPD gets a kick out of telling me that he can change my contract if I don't win at world championships. Like, and so, and that, that coach talked about like, I'm preparing for the Paralympics and I want to do the best thing, the best that I can, but I'm also working on my real estate license in case they fire me when I get home because I have to pay my mortgage, right? I have a family I have. And so that, those sorts of things are really powerful um, for me. And then on the partner side was just, so I've lived both. I've been the coach, but I've also been the partner with the young family and uh, and my husband is in coaching at the national level but was very involved with provincial team and away is away. Yeah. It does not matter whether you're on the other side of the world coaching at the Olympics or whether you're in Brandon, you're still not here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still running the fort by myself, right? And same thing for, for Kylo, my husband, right? Like I've been away and he's like, yeah. yeah. And it's just like the, the partners, how it's a double-edged sword, right? They're so proud, but it's so hard for them to share. Right. And you're sharing. And that's, I think, sometimes what people don't realize when you see a coach or you. Right. Is that there's a whole group of people that are sharing that human with you and allowing them or enabling them to be present with those athletes. And um, and even the NSO, I think, doesn't get sometimes like, I, you know, I'd like to be home for my wedding anniversary. You can't berate me for getting married in the summer, but I would like to celebrate an anniversary with my wife or my husband or my partner, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, at some point. And the other piece was just our need to 
take the concepts we know about periodization as coaches and apply them to our lives. And so one of the coaches I worked with all the time talked about when you're planning a year for athletes, you plan, you know, you look at where your competitions are, then you plan recovery part first and you respect that recovery regardless. And we never think that way. You And I mean, it's harder in real life. You can't like, oh, I'm going to take a week off here and then work blows up. But, you know, we can take 20 minutes to actually sit down and eat. Um, there's lots of ways that we can take better care of ourselves and the people around us that support our performance, I'm using quotations, as, as human beings, whether we're in a high-performance sport realm or whether we're just trying to be the best humans that we can be day-to-day. So you're, you're finding this out in your research about the stressors of life and the pressure on these coaches, and, and yet you are going through a ton of stress yourself in trying to accomplish this study of people doing this and, you know, and how life intersects with that. We can't wait forever, especially as women. We can't wait forever to have children and we can't wait forever to get married and we can't wait forever for, you know, let's stop when this ends, then I'll do this. And when this ends, we're going to run out of time to do all that. So, um, for you, maybe, maybe share with us what your greatest challenges were. And, and, and I mean, it like challenges came to a head for you in, in this time. And, um, and you've learned a lot from that, obviously, but, um, maybe share a bit of that story with us. Moving to the present quickly, my uh, uh, good friend and I have this ongoing joke that we should start a blog called, Does This Shit Happen at Your House? (laughs) And actually, I'm probably going to be doing that in another project I'm involved in. I think we're going to start to bring that to life. But it really... uh, I thought of the idea before I met her and her and I just have this like ridiculous things that happens all the time. Like, and it's day-to-day funny stuff. Like, she'll text me a picture of like a broken toe and she'll be like, does this need medical attention? And I'm like... Uh, yeah, first of all, whose toe is that? And yes, I think, can you just text your athletic therapist friend? And like, no, just go see someone. Anyway, that's like minor compared to the what I oh, will share. But like this, I sort of had this sense starting in about 2010 or maybe 2011 that like the universe is trying to teach me something. And I'm hoping now on the other side of it that I've learned my lesson, right? And so that's where this sort of like, oh my God, what is this? Does this shit only happen to me? Or is it like, is this just everybody? Uh, so in 2011, so just for context, I started the master's degree in the fall of 2012. So, and, and in that time, I was uh, six months pregnant with my second child, and my first child was 18 months old. I don't know. So babies, little ones. And, um, and then in that, there was a 10-year period just preceding that, last, lasting till about, mm, I don't know, uh, 2015 or 16 that uh, someone really close to me was dealing with um, uh, a life-threatening drug addiction and um, I was very engaged in, in that right in the middle of it and that sort of weighs on you and um, and I didn't talk about it with anyone and so very few people knew that that was like one underlying issue um, and it was really really hard because the person who was struggling with the addiction or was sick with the addiction was like ripping their family apart and I was very close to them and uh, so to, to have a front row seat to that but also to be in the middle of it was uh, it was a lot of weight a lot of weight to carry and a lot to have you know sort of going on um, and then in uh, in 2011 uh, we lived lakefront on Lake Manitoba and the lake flooded it was like a one in 600 year event or three I don't know oh. Like, this doesn't happen every century. 
So we were evacuated with a six-month-old child, uh, and then we couldn't go home. And so we ended up living in my parents' cottage, which we were grateful that was available, but we ended up living there for three years and then uh, and had a baby in that time, and I started a master's degree. I was like, why the hell did I do all that? And, you know, and then Kyla was still coaching a lot, like coaching three or four days a week and like traveling all the time. And, and then we decided to build a house coming out of that because that seemed like a smart thing to do. And then we basically stopped communicating because there was just so much stress and like all our stuff was in storage and we'd have to go visit the storage locker to get stuff out. And it was like super creepy and we had to get it like we had like 24 hours to get everything out of our house. Right. So you just chuck it in a truck and move and you don't know where anything is and you have babies and and whatever. And then you're dealing with the government who was like you're trying to get someone to buy your house off anyways. And then we ended up like selling that house to somebody who knew the whole story because they lived there, but we had to get flood protection done first. And anyways, it was crazy. So then we built the, our house because we needed home offices and it seemed like a better idea to build. It wasn't. Uh, and then we weren't communicating effectively and made a couple of bad decisions and we put our house in the wrong place and then had a huge, I really thought we were going to be bankrupt and, um, had, uh, some a challenging introduction to our neighbors. It's all worked out now, but I seriously thought we were going to be bankrupt. And so that those things happened in succession while I was doing a master's degree. In the middle of the master's degree, uh, my exit from Athletics Canada was unplanned. And so I got severance, but I was devastated because it was sudden. And the only solace in that was that there was like 15 other people who had been let go out of... Uh, some kind of organizational restructure, I think was the rationale provided to us. Uh, so that was terrible, um, hard, but then I, you know, got on with Athletics Manitoba. So, uh, so that ended up working out, but all in that period. And, and the overlay of all of this was incredible stress on our, um, our marriage, <laughs> obviously. And, and then the, um, the drug addiction piece. Um, and prior to, prior to that, I actually, I was already knew what I had to do to take care of myself, even though I didn't do a very good job at points there. But in 2008, I was hospitalized for four days with stress. Um, and I was so sick, they thought that I was suffering from liver damage, but there was actually nothing wrong with me. It was just stress. So, uh, and there was other things that are happening there, but that's where part of that, my uh, relationship with the a uh, person who was dealing with the drug addiction was pretty serious at that time. They had made attempts on their life. And so I was playing a pretty key support role in that case. And so um, I think the research for me just highlighted uh, or validated the importance of um, connecting with others on what you need and not being embarrassed about it and giving yourself permission to take care. And I actually read a quote the other day by Charles Dickens and it said something like, we need to replace being selfish with practicing self-care because if we fail to take care of ourselves and as moms, right? Like mom goes down, boom, the ship is done, yeah. right? If we, and and so there were definitely periods in that time certainly when we were had exited the evacuation and we were living in the house but then we were dealing with it being in the wrong place um that I still had like really severe cases of anxiety and I didn't need to be hospitalized again but I was very unwell like so just so overwhelmed like I couldn't eat right and I mean if you stop eating for 24 hours and you have babies that's really bad because yeah. you're not really able to function yeah. and stuff and so um so I think the the research just just I think gave me the courage to to speak 
um, now what I know is true, not just not just experientially, but with the validation of the research behind me. And now there's plenty of research now, you know, fast forward a few years from when that completed to really support the importance of this. And I think it allows me to sort of look at my life from a coaching perspective and take the concepts of periodization around, you know, it's really about we recovery is about removing a stimulus and so just being aware of what the load is and and we we can we can all operate when the load is high for a certain period of time i'm not saying like oh i just can't handle anything it's like no i but like you know 12 weeks of high stress mm-hmm. is i'm no i'm going to be done and like in 2017 so 2017 i finished my thesis i handed in the last piece of paper and i walked into the athlete's village like i defended my thesis on july 4th and i was completely exhausted already and then i went into games and we had i was in the village which was not a smart decision on my part but i was team managing the team so i was in the village for 11 days and then i had three days at home and then i had to go to another national championship in brandon i passed out three times from exhaustion at that meet nobody knows now now they do <laughs> i was really sick i was really sick i booked conference calls with my mom not conference calls i called my mom and i'm you have to talk to me you have to talk to me because i'm scared i'm gonna fall asleep like i was terrified of falling asleep and why didn't i just say this is too much this is too much. I need more help. I can't do. And it wasn't like it wasn't all on me. Like there was there was an army of volunteers who made 2017 go for sure. And we had an army of summer students. But I think I still I think I still carried the burden way too much for myself. And part of it was I was doing a master's degree at the same time. Also, probably should have hit pause on that. But I knew that if I didn't finish it, then there was no way in hell I was going to come back to it in September. Like right. there wasn't a chance in hell it was going to get done. Like it just I had to get done because I had the momentum and there was like I thought about I think I had to write an article in late August or early September and I can't remember who it was for and I said yes before and I actually felt like I was going to be sick like I made me nauseous I just the you know what I mean the load was too much Mm -hmm. um and the other thing from 2017 is interesting so I'm wired way more on the introvert side and Kylo was like extrovert so like games feed him he like he's tired because he's spent too much time in the hospitality room (laughs) when he comes home but you know like he sleeps for a week and he's fine it took me nine months right I just remember I remember leaving games and going to the cottage and I just wanted to sit with my hands over my ears and just be quiet but then at three weeks after I thought I was fine no it took and then I changed jobs like I needed a break from I just needed a break from athletics it was too much the overtime was too much I still had to be at track meets all the time and so I have I like there's lovely humans in that sport and I think it's amazing but I just needed a break so I that's why I made the switch to you know to racquetball so I think I have this very uh a the lived experience from understanding from the vicarious experience of being present with national team coaches and working with them all the time of understanding how much it takes. And then being someone who looked long and hard at that opportunity and walked away from it to, you know, doing the work that I needed to do or tried to do to get an athlete on the national team. And, um, and then, and then, so that's, you know, one side of it, but then the other side is doing the research and then having a lived experience of being a mom and trying to be a, and having a sport family and Mm -hmm. doing all those things. And then, but then like there's those things and I feel like we see oftentimes I think in general not just in sport I think we see each other sometimes as one dimensional so you know I see you and you're Michelle and you're smiley and bright and I hear your voice on the radio and right and so it's really easy for me to see like Michelle the coach or Michelle the radio host not like oh 
Michelle has a sister and a family and things could be great there or you could be dealing with something crazy. And I think with the uh, situation, you know, like I very much, I think people are like, oh, you got it all together. And meanwhile, I'm like, I don't have my shit together at all. And I'm getting sick all the time. And I ended up hospitalized and people are like, what? Yeah. Like, no. And so, you know, now I've learned to be like, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And I say that and I'm like, or I'm going to go for a run or, and I'm, you know, I still fail at it epically all the time but I have the awareness to know how to dial myself back so I'm confident that unless something really goes south hopefully I won't be hospitalized again in that state and I'd like to try to prevent others in all contexts like when Adrian and I have done some you know corporate work and stuff and I think the level of stress and the type of demand on people is the same regardless of what environment you're in if you're you have a pressure on you to perform. It doesn't matter whether that performance is on the international stage in a sport environment or whether it's day-to-day in a boardroom, right? That pressure is omnipresent. Donna, through all of this, through all of your journey, what would you say defines you now? I think I've always had the ability to, to be who I am, but I did that with much more trepidation before. And now I'm just like, <laughs> you know, this is screw me. it. This is me right? Come on in. My house is a mess, but I'll make you a sandwich. Yep. And then I think the other thing is uh, my, you know, so that was my man, both my parents, but I remember my mom, like it was always, you know, be humble, right? Like the, the, it's good to be good at things, but you can acknowledge and, you know, like acknowledge, but, but just be humble. And I like to be under the radar. So I think that, so this is like outside my comfort zone for sure. Okay. Rapid fire questions. What is your favorite sound? Well, I have a ton of them because this is my thing. (laughs) Um, I love the way the wind changes between seasons because we have lots of trees in our yard. I love the sound of my bike shoes clicking into my pedals. I love the sound of my kids' feet on the floor when I'm in my office. And uh, yeah, I love the sound of like nature and uh, water. Talk about an ordinary moment. Bedtime stories with my kids, my favorite, yeah. Uh, Do you have a book that you love that you would recommend? Oh, lots. You know what? Um, I just read uh, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown, and it's like not just for leaders, it's for everyone. I think it's super insightful, so I'd recommend that one. Um, And then um, I love the Wayne Johnson historical fiction. Songs. Do you have one that sticks out, something that you love to listen to? Oh, I love love music for sure. And uh, I love to crank it in the car when I'm by myself. I can't say I have like a favorite, but it definitely crosses all genres. So depending on my mood, right? Like jazz with some good uh, drums and a solo section. I love uh, like intricate uh, classical music, in particular like Bach, where there's the intricacies of the melody. And those were really fun to play um, on the piano in particular. So no, no favorite, but just always like I love, can't be without it. Um, you've talked a lot about your challenges. Are there any, is, is there a challenge that we wouldn't see and that you still deal with now? Oh, my head. <laughs> like the running commentary in my head. If it would just, if I could control that, it'd be a lot better for me, right? Like, oh my God. Yeah, I think like, I'll, I mean, I'm, I'm being facetious, but I'm not. I think that the, the, you know, I think all of us, you know, struggle with confidence from time to time and that sort of thing. But I think the... I need to be very cognizant of the stories I tell myself and I need to check them all the time because because that gets me into a lot of trouble. So if I could just like, you know, PFO brain, that would be helpful. <laughs> One piece of advice that you'd like to pass on. 
uh, give yourself permission to both be yourself and to find windows of recovery, um, whether that's just taking 10 minutes to sit in the car quietly before you turn it on or whether that's, you know, ice cream after supper or, you know, like just, um, yeah, never be afraid to be yourself and um, and always give yourself permission to um, have some recovery so that you can, you know, be your best self in, in um, from day to day. So I think that would be it two people that have impacted two or three people that have impacted your life and and why well certainly you know my my uh my parents I think my parents always supported me and always you know encouraged me to do whatever I want and certainly they're only 40 minutes from us and so they're embedded in our lives and uh are so important to our children. I mean, so are our Kylo's parents, but they live in Newfoundland, so it's it's just a different type of support. Um, and so knowing that they are there to support us and to provide backup childcare, and also um, I'm very close with both of my parents, and you know, still talk to my mom almost every other day for hours at a time, as you can imagine. Uh, so um, yeah, definitely, you know, my parents um, and, I, oh God, like coaches, right? I, I think my junior high uh, track coach, Wayne Williams, really in, engaged me in the sport and helped me um, identify the importance of um, commitment to training, right? Like, and, uh, and was just, I think, saw potential in me that I wouldn't have had the confidence to see, certainly. And then um, I had, like, at Athletics Canada, had a team of coaches around me, in particular, uh, Bruce Perney, Alec Gardner, and Les Gromantic, who I think knew that I was in over my head, but could tell that I wasn't drowning and definitely saw potential in me that I did not see in myself or did not know was there. Um, so, uh, yeah, grateful for them. And then uh, Carolyn Trono and uh, Linda Blade also were just two people who really helped me earlier in my career. Linda Blade gave me the opportunity <clears throat> at Athletics Canada, quite literally, and uh, Trono, as I lovingly call her, um, was a consultant that worked closely with us and uh, was just a very good uh, grounding uh, influence, I think, for sure. So there's so many, and I should have been more prepared <laughs> to answer that question, but those uh, those uh, people, for sure. Life teaches us so many lessons, so thank you for being open and willing to share yours with us. And uh, you certainly are a hero in our midst. So Donna, thank you for your time. Thank you. And there she is, Donna Harris, one of the founding members of this podcast we're calling Heroes in Our Midst. You don't have to listen for long to know that she cares for people no matter what environment they're in. And in all of our environments, there is pressure to perform. So thank goodness for people like Donna Harris, who care enough to have not only done the research, but someone who, from lived experience, knows that rest and recovery is not only important, but essential to being stronger than ever and the best you can be. Thank you, Donna, for sharing that with us all. If you want to find more real stories, real humans, real inspiration, subscribe to Heroes in Our Midst. We'll see you soon.